The other thing that I firmly believe is in human-centered design. And that is, um, you know, are you framing your problem correctly? Is it a problem, but through the eyes of your end user? Hello, everyone. I'm Angela Rosa Donato, And I'm Marion Leary. And you're listening to Amplify Nursing, a pen nursing podcast supported by the Panola Fund for Innovation in Nursing. Amplify Nursing features nurses who are leading the way in science, policy, and innovation. Our guests defy stereotypes, define practice, and disrupt convention. We highlight the breadth and depth of nursing influence on society by amplifying nurses who are pushing boundaries and breaking down barriers to build a new paradigm. Today on Amplify Nursing, we talk to Hiam Nadell, the Director of the Center of Innovations and Care Delivery at Massachusetts General Hospital, Kim is a potent mix of talent and creativity whose goal is to cultivate and harness the power and innovation of clinicians at the bedside. Kim talks about building startups, building relationships, and investing in nurses. Kim, welcome to the Amplify Nursing Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure to be here, Marion. I am a big fan of yours. I love everything that you are doing. And honestly, I'd like to be you when I grow up. So I'd love to have you tell and share your story with our listeners about, you know, you started out in nursing and then you got your MBA. You know, I want to hear all about that. You're the director at the uh, Massachusetts General Hospital in their Center of Innovation and Care Delivery. I want to hear about that. You're a Johnson & Johnson Innovation Fellow. You have a startup company. I want to hear about all of these things. So first off, just tell me a little bit about your background, how you got interested in nursing and sort of your path into entrepreneurship and innovation. Sure. I, so it's interesting because I was a biology major and always wanted to go to medical school, but I came from a very disadvantaged background. And so I thought, well, maybe if I did nursing, that would help me work so that I can then go to medical school. But then realized um, into the nursing program, the high touch point of nursing, which I fell in love with and thought that that's my passion and that's the way I'm going to proceed with that. So that's how I got into nursing. Most of my career has been in women's health care. So I've done the gamut from fertility all the way to labor and delivery. And then, of course, the uh, maternal fetal medicine, which was high risk. And we took care of very, very ill patients that wanted to be pregnant. And then, of course, women's oncology. So did the whole gamut. So then uh, and that was at the Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston. And then there was an opportunity. I was asked to go with the team to Mass General Hospital because Mass General wanted to become a complete care hospital. And the thing that was missing from there was the OBGYN department. So they used to deliver babies back in 1942. So it was a a long time ago and wanted to resurrect the unit. And that's how I got to Mass General. But the minute I walked in, it was just a a whole different culture for me because the chief nurse looked at me and said, you have a lot of expertise, go ahead and go build the building, go and put this whole department together. Of course, you know, I had other help and committees 
but I have never been asked to just go and do it. And so, of course, the first night I really couldn't sleep. I had to work with architects. And then it dawned on me, you know what? You know, we, we know how we should practice. We know the workflow with patients. And I just have to have confidence. And that's how we built the unit. So how does a patient enter? We, 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 we resurrected a one-stop shop. So meaning that the patient comes in and they get all their entire care there. They don't have to go to other parts of the hospital to get their ultrasound done or their genetics or lab, et cetera. So it was really an opportunity to really think out of the box and how we we do things. Also at the time I was asked to stay. So I went there as a consultant and then I was asked to stay as the leader. And I said to them, I would love to stay but I have a different nurse model in my mind that I would like to implement. So my boss um, thought that that was an intriguing idea, came back and said, let's put in your nurse model. I'll give you two years to prove yourself. Uh, And then beyond that, if it doesn't work out, we'll just part ways. And I thought that that was a pretty reasonable contract to enter. The um, interesting thing about the way we built this unit was there are, there were multiple subunits outside into the communities. So of course, uh, the physicians would have to go everywhere and the midwives would have to go everywhere or be on call. And I wanted the nurses to be the continuity for the patients. And so we teamed up with providers. The nurses really took care of all those patients. They did lots of pre-work and saw them when they came in for their visits and then did a lot of post-work. And it was wildly successful. And the return on their investment is we were able to see more patients in that model. And so, of course, he loved that. Um, So that's how that came about. And then I was, as I built out more centers, Um, out into the communities and then consulted um, on Nantucket Hospital when they acquired the hospital, it occurred to me that I probably should get a degree that really sort of reflects all the work I'm doing. Um, And I also decided that it should be an MBA because I wanted a different facet of, um, you know, to my mind and then chose really an innovation entrepreneurship program, because that has always been a passion for me. How long ago was that? Him? That was in 2013. Um, and when I went for my interview, they would ask, why are you got, Why would you want to come here? Why don't you get your MBA in, in healthcare? And at the time, I thought, I know healthcare. I really want to learn a different way of thinking. So um, I was accepted, and it's been a phenomenal experience for me. Then, of course, after I completed that, um, I was involved in the in the Northeastern inaugural Northeastern Hackathon, where, of course, you you your team won, um, and I was a mentor and lectured there. And then my chief nurse found out and said, "You know what's going on with it? What is a nurse hackathon?" I explained it to her. And then we went into discussions about really standing up a program where we could elicit some um, solutions from nursing or from patient care services. And uh, we would offer, she had some philanthropy money, and she would offer two $5,000 awards. 
And at the time I told, I would be the mentor, I would incubate, I would do it all because at the time I really felt that we, this was an opportunity given to me that probably wouldn't be given to me again. Um, and we wanted to prove what nurses could do in healthcare solutions. So we didn't put any parameters. Um, we said, what's your problem? And what do you, what, what's your solution to that problem? So we allowed anything to come through, but it also, we wanted to have some insight to the pain points of what the staff was really experiencing. And that would inform some of the, the chief nurse's work that she wanted to do. So it was, it was just, it was just an incredible time. I think the first year we received 30 applications. And I should also say that uh, it was also open to anyone that reported to the chief nurse, which included all the therapies, physical therapy, occupational therapy, social work, and chaplaincy. Um, so those are all the people that report to her. But of course, most of it was nursing. So you said your MBA, you know, you were focusing on innovation and entrepreneurship. That was, it seems like early on in the nursing innovation phase. So how did you, you know, how did you get introduced to that, those concepts as a nurse and as something that you could be focusing on in that area? Well, so interestingly, as 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 a student, I was uh, really inventing. Of course, at the time, I didn't realize that. A few years later, I would get calls from my colleagues and say, "Hey, is that is that your thing that's on the market now?" And I realized that something was really missing for my prototype and then for commercialization. And I said, hmm, I really need to understand that, that whole concept. And that's it. And so many of those examples continue to happen. Um, and then over time, and that's what really built, you know, if I'm going to go back to school, this is something that I was really interested in and I ought to learn more about. And you mentioned your product and prototyping. I know that you have created products and we're launching a company, I think. Mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty <laughs> yes. sure. Um, it's still there. <laughs> so, so talk a little bit about that process and how you came to the solution you came to, how you thought about um, commercializing it and where you're at right now. So um, a friend of my husband's was retired OBGYN, uh, who's brilliant. And really, it was uh, his idea. And he tapped into me and said, you know, I'm not in clinical practice anymore. Um, I have this idea that I'd like to run by you. At the time, um, it's called GYN Urogynecology, which is a very young um, specialty. And we had just opened uh, several sites to accommodate that. And um, we realized that patients um, wouldn't talk about their problem with incontinence. And they were embarrassed, they were ashamed, and healthcare providers really weren't eliciting that particular problem. And so we, we knew we were onto something. Um, and so we made it a, a, um, an effort to really ask patients about that uh, incontinence issues. And of course, it, it, the, the program within three months grew to 30% because there was a real need out there. And so, of course, we always tell women after having a baby or they're having incontinence issues, if it's a certain type of incontinence, 
um, just to go home and do their Kegels. Um, and, you know, we know you can't really feel that you're doing the Kegels properly or not. And some of those subsets we would send to a pelvic physical therapist in order to do uh, their Kegels properly. And we knew if they were done properly, then they could, then they would, um, you know, solve the issue with incontinence because it would build that pelvic floor muscle. And so how can we do this differently uh, with a, a device that downloads an app um, and then you can actually perceive whether or not you're doing your Kegels correctly. So uh, the startup world is very complicated <laughs> um, and very expensive, but at the, the point we're at now is that we are currently doing multiple site clinical trials. So hopefully, I think the results have been very promising in the, in the beginning. Um, and once we get all those results, I mean, the pandemic has really thrown um, uh, a curveball into that. However, uh, we're doing things remotely. And so we'll see what happens there. So that's where we are with that. That's really exciting. But how long has this been going on from sort of idea through to prototyping and now testing? I think it'd be good for our listeners to at least get a sense of what the startup process is like, but also the timeline that it takes to get something out to market. It's yeah. not quick. <laughs> it's not quick. And I would, as a guest, I'd, I'd have to really look back, but it's it's been um, probably 10 years. 10 years. I mean, yeah. talk about resilience and um, yes. <laughs> stick, stick with itness. Like you really have to be committed to the startup world and to the product that you want to get out if you're going to uh, venture into this uh, type of atmosphere. Right. And, and what I call that street learning has been invaluable. And I use a lot of that now as I mentor others when they're incubating their idea, having so gone through that. Talk more about that. What street learning, what did, what did you pick up that you couldn't have otherwise learned or didn't learn in your MBA program? Well, you know, so the MBA teaches you, you know, how to pitch and they teach you about venture capitalists and, and how to do, you know, how to get funding. But honestly, the amount of pitching we had to do for this company to get funding and how, you know, many of those venture capitalists are brilliant. And the amount of homework they do prior to you walking in that door was amazing to me, which really nobody taught you. So they're so good at doing their homework. They've already studied the market. Um, so that, that in itself was a big learning curve. And you could be pitching every day for several hours a day for weeks before anyone comes through with any funding. So that was a very tiresome um, process to go through, frightening. Um, but, you know, um, it, once you land and, you know, learning that you're in order to get funding, how important it is that your lead funder is well known because others will say, oh, well, if that, if that fund gave them money, then then the rest of the money actually comes easier, which of course we didn't, we didn't learn that in MBA school, but out on the street. So things like that. So if there are other nurses who wanted to start 
a company or do a startup program, what do you think are some of the things that they should be aware of? Any sort of tips or tricks to help them get started? Yeah, so I think the most important thing, and I do this in, in the incubation center, we spend an enormous amount of time on competition and market research um, just to make sure that is there something else that's out there that's similar or already something out on the market? And if there is, is yours different enough that you should pursue it? The other thing that I firmly believe is in human-centered design. And that is, um, you know, are you framing your problem correctly? Is it a problem, but through the eyes of your end user? whether it's the clinical staff, whether it's the patient, really getting in and understanding your end user so that um, you can frame the problem correctly. And, you know, I always use this example. If I had this elaborate nutritional plan and ways to, you know, an app, a fancy app and things like that. But if my patient has uh, food insecurity, it doesn't matter how elaborate my app is my nutritional app because because it's not going to help either way. Yeah, I mean it's a really important point and one that I don't think can be overstressed that you really do need to understand the problem from the point of view of the people who are experiencing it and there are so many and this is why I think partly why a lot of startup companies fail. They don't spend enough time really understanding the problem and defining the problem so that they can create the right solution. Correct. You know, people come in to my office and already have a solution. And, and I'll say, look, we're not going to talk about that for several months. I already try to set the expectation immediately. I said, your solution might be the right solution, but there's a lot more homework we need to do. And inevitably, they always come back and say, oh, my God, you're right. Because I go out and have them do field testing and observation and interviews and things like that. And they come back and their solution is much, much stronger and better and more and more effective. Yeah, I mean, I, I see it all the time with my students also and the nurses that I work with that if they really put in the time to understand the problem, their solutions are just so much better um, they meet the needs of the end user that much better. But I was just having this conversation this morning with another nurse innovator and trying to figure out how we get clinicians to understand that need and what some of the barriers are that even if they do understand that they need to put in that time, that there are so many barriers in healthcare right now that they don't even have the resources to do that. How do you think, and how, or not even how do you think, how do you do that in the position that you hold today as the director in the Center of Innovation and Care Delivery? Yeah, Marion, I think you bring up a really critical point. I think time is really one of the biggest barriers that I find in my experience. And what we do is we do little snippets. So I meet with the awardee uh, once a week. We try to meet once a week. And lots of times it does get canceled because of time constraints or they get busy with patient care. Um, and then we just do one little thing at a time. Um, so, okay, this week, what... So this week, I want you to observe. And I'm working with a, um, a speech therapist currently, and we're tackling language development delays in the NICU. And um, I said, this week, all I want you to do, you're in the unit anyway, go ahead and observe the nurses and how they speak to the babies, et cetera. 
Um, and then the next time she comes back and then we, um, and then we talk about it and then we'll do another assignment and it takes almost a year, but, um, and I'm sure I could speed that process up, but, um, it's because of time. People are really time constrained and, and people decide whether they can do this outside of their work week or work times. And, and I try to, what I do is I do a lot of the investigation, a lot of the market research for them, and then just sort of um, mentor them. Okay, well, let's look this up today. Let's, you know, what are your, what are your thoughts on this? And just really walk them through the process, but in little snippets. And that's what I found to be the most successful. Clearly, Mass General sees value in this process and in human-centered design and innovation, I would think, since you know, you're the director of that center. But what do you think it will take for health systems to really buy into nurses as leaders in healthcare innovation and allocating the resources and time needed for nurses to focus on these projects? Yeah, so it's, it, I think about this all the time, and I'm still teaching my leadership, too, um, about human-centered design. So I think we have to do a lot of education. But um, I think the power is going to be what I call the power of we, the multi-transdisciplinary approach. Um, we have one uh, nurse who actually worked with a physician, and I think really um, just bringing a, a group together to innovate. And it's not just, you know, it can be just nursing, it can be just physicians, it can be just respiratory therapists, but how do we, the power of we, move all of this forward? Because we sort of need all of, medicine is a team sport, and let's come at it from this angle. And at the same time say, oh, wow, you know, look at what nurses have done, look what respiratory therapists have done, and really force that inter and multidisciplinary team to come together. I mean, that's my opinion um, of how I think we're going to move things forward and recognize each entity at the same time. Yeah, I mean, I love that the power of we, that's so true. I mean, innovation, just like medicine, is a team sport and you need people with all backgrounds and experiences to be able to solve the complexities of the problems we are seeing today. Exactly. Exactly. Can you talk about more what your center does, how it was established, you know, what you do on a daily basis, things like that? Because I don't know many health systems that have a center like yours. So I'd love to hear more about it. Right. And I, um, of course, I just became the director about, oh, it's, well, actually it's two years now, but of course, <laughs> many, many months of it was involved with the pandemic. Um, and so, um, you know, the, the center was stood up actually by a philanthropist. Um, and so that's where currently we're getting funding. And um, again, it's um, dedicated really not to exclude anyone, but dedicated for the nurse, for anyone that, re that reports up to the chief nurse. So for the last three years, while I was the director for OBGYN, uh, I incubated ideas from these awardees the last three or four years. And then the chief nurse just, uh, we pitched to her and showed her all the projects and things. And she was just amazed and therefore uh, offered me the position. 
And so, you know, again, I'm still building the infrastructure. I just want to be transparent about that um, because of the pandemic has really sidelined us. And, um, you know, so the way I look at it is we're going to have several pillars. One is the internal innovation. So where we reach out and say, give us your ideas and, and your solutions as, as, as I told, as I spoke about, um, as, and me as their incubator and mentor this year, uh, we are going to do the Ethodome challenge, um, which is the Ethodome was where the first anesthetic was applied. Um, and so we'll do pretty much a reverse pitch. So what we still have to decide whether we're going to do a specialty or a unit. And what we'll do is say, okay, give us all your problems that you're experiencing and what you would like to solve. And then there'll be crowd voting. So we'll see what, what ideas or what problems they want to solve rise to the top. And then we'll come back and say, okay, here are the problems that rose to the top. Now go out and give us your solution. And again, it'll be crowd voting. So we're going to do something a little bit different this year. Uh, we'll see how that works. The timeline is is going really going to be dependent on the pandemic again, uh, when we'll institute that. But it'll be, I think, a little more fun and different this year. I'm also trying really to um, develop a lot of collaboration with industry. So if we have a solution, well, we think the way I'd like to see it is that it's both ways. So if we have a solution, can I go to an industry partner and say, um, okay, so we have the solution. Are you interested in it? This is in your wheelhouse. And or the industry player could say, here's what we think is a problem we'd love for you to solve. And then we would put it out to all the staff to solve. So that's sort of what's happening right now. That's all incredible. I know you also you also do something called daily rounds, right? And I'd love to hear more about that and how that works into what you're doing because I I think that's really important and innovative. But you know, I'd love to hear more about it. So the idea came from we're doing resiliency rounds with the staff right now, um, and then we decided we hold actually an hour of resiliency rounds for any unit that requests them. Uh, more recently, we started to do what's called roving rounds and really just developing relationship with several units and really just touching base and keeping an eye on stress and depression and things like that. And then it occurred to me, as I went to these units, you know, a lot of people say, hey, I have this idea and I have this. So I thought, well, maybe after all this is done that we're going to start what, what I'm going to call innovation rounds and really going to a unit They've got plenty of ideas, attending an already existing staff meeting again, because of the time constraints, we can do very, uh, you know, short solution sprints, or, or I guess problem identification, then solution sprints, and allow the staff within that unit to get involved. My other thought really is to a lot of the nurses are reaching out. And so perhaps starting an innovation collaborative governance um, I have to talk to my boss about that, but it occurred to me that these people that are already reaching out could be their own innovation champion on e on their units and bring ideas forward and stuff. I'm, you know, again, it's just thinking. Um, haven't quite developed it yet, but sort of that's sort of the path I'm on. It's exciting though. There's so many things that can be happening and will be happening and. You know, getting nurses involved in this way, I think, is really it's a it's a great way to get nurses 
interested and sort of dip their toe in the water of innovation in a non, for lack of a better word, non-threatening way, I think. Right, exactly, exactly. And, and they, they get very excited. You can see their whole demeanor change, their eyes widen and, and get excited. Um, and, you know, some will say, oh, I, I, don't, I don't know anything about that. And, you know, so we'll spend, you know, if you sort of tap into or take a pulse on where they're at, you know, maybe what you do is just start with education first around innovation. So we'll see. And then some units are much more advanced than that. Like, uh, you know, the PICU is very innovative and they're always trying. So, you know, with them, it might be a little more advanced uh, and where we start with them. So speaking of the PICU, I'd love to hear a little bit about the innovations that took place during COVID, things that you were working on uh, during that time and probably still working on now since we're still in the midst of this yeah. <laughs> pandemic, <laughs> hasn't magically gone away. Um, so what, what has your center done you know, during the height of the pandemic and even now? So... Um, the first surge, everything really shut down, as you know, including all our research uh, facilities. And so rather than having research going on, unless it was critical research, they stood up instead a COVID innovation center. And so they reached out to everyone, industry, outside communities. I mean, anyone could be involved. And of course, nurses have to learn to get themselves to the table. And that's what I did. I reached out to the head of the COVID innovation center and said, this is what I do here. And I will be, you know, I really would like to um, lead some teams. Um, he's like, great, do it. So, um, so we did a lot of work around PPE because that was the most uh, worrisome. And that led to more, I'm doing quite a bit of work with dis the disabilities group because we really haven't come up with a good solution for an N95 that is transparent so that somebody with a heart, you know, that's hard of hearing can read, needs to read lips. Um, we have, you know, an autistic child, for example, that has tactile sensitivities, so they can't wear masks. So, you know, what are we going to do for that particular patient population? It's really reared some very, very interesting groups to, you know, and patient population to work on. So that, that um, work is ongoing. The other thing is in the pediatric units, um, there is no there is no protective way to draw a child's blood and then transfer it to a microtainer without protecting the staff member, believe it or not. Um, and so that is um, what they worked on um, to develop. And we're been, we've already tested it in two units and we're moving forward to the rest of the pediatric units to test the device. Um, the other thing we worked on is, and that was a nurse led intervention. Another nurse invented a way to, to collect lab specimens without cross-contamination. We developed 50 prototypes. We put it out on all the COVID testing centers and to this day, they will not give our prototypes back. So, uh, because it is safe, because of the of the workflow prior to this invention, you know, took them three minutes, two and a half to three minutes to collect a COVID test. With 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 this device, has reduced it to one and a half. So, save them one and a half minutes. 
So, um, it, you know, and then if they're doing three to 500 tests a day, you can imagine how much time saving it's been. And that's why they won't let it go. But, you know, even though it's a prototype, and usually you should just do a few weeks, uh, we decided to just leave it at all the test sites. Um, and so they're still using it to this day. So I have so many questions. Okay. <laughs> First off, the prototypes that you're creating, how did you how do you get those done? So you have a nurse who has an idea. Who do you work with at your institution to build those prototypes out? So it's really outside of my institution, although we do have a modeling shop and, um, you know, we do have some resources within the hospital, but these really lended themselves to, to involve a design company. And I just happened to be introduced to a startup design company. They worked for very well-known, um, you know, one worked for Bose and I forget where, where the other one worked, but they, they, it was just such, such a nice relationship because we were both trying to start up, <laughs> start up uh, these two centers. And so they loved the idea of all the things that would help patients. And they said, look, we'll help you um, just you know, whatever the award is. So it's $5,000. They did enormous amount of work for $5,000. Um, and so they, through the COVID Innovation Center, they actually ended up getting the work from, and were paid appropriately finally. And so I'm looking at ways on how to continue that relationship um, with them. Um, and they're willing to take a much discounted pricing, you know, because they love this work. Um, and that's how we got our prototypes done. So it was really about relationships and networking. That's great. I mean, I, I would love for other institutions to be able to do those types of things too. And maybe they are, um, but I, it's always good to hear how other institutions are, are doing these things. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I, I feel very lucky that I met them and um, because I don't know what would have happened if we couldn't, you know, because I mean, unless we had the funding and then we could pay a real uh, true design company. Um, and again, you know, I, I just do most of the work for them. Um, and then we take it to them at the very last minute and say, okay, we've done all our homework. Here's the market research. Here's this, here's that. Now all we need you to do is build this. <laughs> Nice. And then yeah. you test it on your units or wherever it's being implemented. Yeah. You know, I think healthcare uh, institutions really need to recognize that outside industry would love to be able to get in and test on patients and get all that expert advice. So we're really, uh, we're just so advantaged in that, um, that we already have access to patients and access to, you know, staff expertise and things like that. Um, so we can cut out a lot of steps. Yeah, that, that's, that's great. So I'd like to switch gears slightly a little and learn a little bit more about some of the organizations that you're involved with. So you're a Johnson Johnson Innovation Fellow, and you're a founding member of Sunciel, which is a society of nurse scientists, innovators, entrepreneurs, and leaders. Uh, for full disclosure, I am also a founding member and on the board with him. Can you talk a little bit about those groups and why you think it's important for nurses who are interested in innovation and entrepreneurship to get involved with groups like these? It's, it's critical to be with like-minded people. And Sanciel is really paving the way, in my opinion, about nurse innovation. 
So, you know, we're, we're going to be looking at educating nurses by getting a certification uh, around innovation. We are networking so we can, you know, if nurses have a passion or an idea to connect them with the right people to continue that development. So I really, really think I know and I'm confident, just like when I was younger in my career, I knew I, I thought things, the way I thought through things was differently, the prototypes I was developing and not realizing I was inventing. There are so many nurses in that same boat. And Sanciel um, gives you that family or that, that group that can help you through all of that. Um, Johnson & Johnson, who has been amazingly supportive for many, many years, uh, created this uh, innovation fellowship. Um, I really felt strongly, first of all, I wanted to learn more from Johnson & Johnson, in particular, their J-Labs. Um, and so how did they set up this J-Labs where it's very similar to what I'm trying to do at my center, is that have that um, innovation within and innovation with, you know, externally, but, you know, to start there. And so I applied and luckily I received it. Um, and it also gave a lot of credibility to what I was doing. Um, so I think that has been a very tremendous, uh, you know, thing for me. What does that fellowship entail? So, uh, you know, they taught us in the beginning, it was a lot about um, leadership, um, your leadership skills, developing your leadership skill, skills and managing down across and up, which is very important when you're trying to build out something that's new. Um, we all have a project uh, that we are developing and, and um, Nurse Approved is involved and that's the part that they're doing is helping develop the ideas for the Innovation Fellows. Um, and just uh, and then we'll have access to J Labs, uh, and I think that will be the next trip. I've, again, everything was delayed because of the pandemic, so we will have access to J Labs, and I think that's for me in particular is going to be my learning, um, you know, passion. Where do you see the field or? discipline of nursing innovation and entrepreneurship going over the next few years? I think it's really going to accelerate. I think I've seen that already happen in the, in the, in the time that Sanciel has been in existence. And I think more and more reach out to us. It's amazing. Uh, last night we had a meetup and uh, a, woman, a nurse from Australia was on. I was just really floored by that. So there we are, um, addressing a need. So I think it will only accelerate. I just think we have to be able to keep up with those needs and how are we going to service the, 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 the nurses that, that need us now and developing strategies and programs and whatever else that might be needed. And for the nurses who have ideas and want to take them to the next level, what is your advice for where they should start? You know, I always encourage people um, to start within their own institution. Is there, and you know, a, a, an office or that 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 handles any inventions that come through their institutions? Because I think that's an important thing to do. 
um, because, um, you know, if there's already resources in place, I think that's very powerful. If there's no resources, you know, I do, I do help uh, pro bono a lot of these nurses that don't have that in their institutions and just walk them through the process. Um, and then I think I, I also continue to have them constantly meet with their leadership to keep them on the radar so that they can start thinking about that. And with Johnson and Johnson and Microsoft and all that's happening nationally and Sanciel, I think eventually institutions will really start to pay attention and, and hopefully put some resources for nurses. Well, Ham, thank you so much for talking with me. I always love talking with you and I constantly am learning from you. So I appreciate it. Oh, this has been a pleasure. Marin, you're my role model too, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. This has been, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of nice to talk through a lot of things. You even clarified some things for me now. I just took notes. <laughs> That's so funny. Right. Well, thanks for joining us, Yim, and uh, we will, of course, speak soon. <laughs> Thank you, Marin. Have a wonderful day. Hello, Marion. Hello, Angela. How's it going? It's amazing. How are you? I'm good. I just got to spend 40 minutes or so talking with my friend, Hiem Nadell, who I absolutely love. Yeah, it was a great conversation. She is a fascinating nurse innovator. Yeah, she has such a great background, you know, rounded out by her MBA degree, which I think is always so nurses are so understated in the experiences and knowledge that they have. And I love that he has that background and is able to mentor nurses in the ways of not just innovation, but also entrepreneurship, because you know, those are two very different things. They are. And it's, it's a, I think a very unique skill set. Yeah, for sure. And so, I mean, I think I love that Mass General has invested in this type of position. You know, we're lucky at Penn, we have the Penn Center for Healthcare Innovation, but it's not specific to nursing, whereas the Center of Innovation and Care Delivery really is specific to um, those who, like he said, report to the chief nursing officer. So I think there's something to be said about that, the investment in nurses as leaders in healthcare innovation. Amplify Nursing is hosted by Dr. Angela Rosa Donato and Marion Leary and produced by the University of Pennsylvania School of Nursing with special thanks to our Department of Information Technology Services for their assistance. Music for the podcast was created by Harper Leary. The podcast is made possible by the Krista and Rich Panola Fund for Innovation in Nursing. Follow us on Twitter at Penn Nursing. Until next time, keep pushing over, under, around, and through. We want to thank you for listening to the Amplify Nursing Podcast and remind you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy your podcast listening. And if you can, please do us a solid and rate and review us as well. It will go a long way in amplifying our episodes.